Thank you, worship team. Let's pause a moment and thank God for how great he is. Father, we thank you that you're a great God. And Lord, our hearts desire as we've come to know you and experience in a personal way how great you are in our lives. Our desire is that the whole world would see how great you are. Now, Father, we would ask that you would be with us as we open your word. And I would ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you today. And oh, many of you have been here through the book of Ephesians. It seems like we've taken a long time to get through Ephesians. And we have, but Pastor Mark gave us a, a month of... Uh, going through our mission, vision, and values as a church, and that's been very valuable. And, uh, but we're going to finish up in the next uh, couple weeks here on the book of Ephesians. We have two banners prominently displayed, our identity and our mission. Uh, Ephesians consists of six chapters, and as you know, in the first three chapters, we looked at our identity in Jesus Christ. And really, when you think about it, in fact, the older I get, the more and more what I experience in life is it's all about relationships, isn't it? And so the first three chapters, we talked about our relationship with Jesus Christ, our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And now in the second three chapters, chapters four through six, we're looking at our mission or partly our relationships within the Christian life. More specifically, Pastor Mark has talked about our relationships in marriage. Remember, he took a week on husbands. He took a week on wives. Last week, Pastor Wayne talked about our relationships as parents and children. And today we're going to talk about our relationships at work. This is very, very practical stuff. And, uh, you know, when I think about relationships and how to live the Christian life, the Bible has a lot to say. But, you know, these second three chapters as we've talked about relationship, listen to uh, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, as Paul talks and prepares us for the relationships that we've talked about thus far. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort, and then it says, live a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And when you think about our relationship, our identity in Christ, our relationship with him, that should make an impact on our mission, and specifically how we live our lives as Christians. The Bible's very practical. Um, you know, I, I think uh, uh, when I think about the practicality of Scripture, people who say that, well, the Bible doesn't have anything practical, it's very practical. And in today, as we look at the role of slaves and masters, I'm gonna, we're going to relate that to work. Um, Mark left me that one. I don't know why he decided to take a vacation on slaves and masters, but he gave it to me. But uh, we're going to relate that to work. And I would venture to say that we think about work a lot, don't we? And... Um, you know, we think about our relationships. One of the things that have been said over the last few weeks is that when people look at our marriages, when they look at our families, and I'm going to venture to say as people look at us at work, they get a tiny glimpse of Jesus. That's what it's all about. They get a tiny glimpse of who Jesus is. That's why it's important. That's where relationships are important. This is the real stuff of life. This is where the rubber meets the road, 
And to be more specific, this is where people are looking at you and at me in those areas of our lives, those practical areas of our life, and they're asking themselves the question, is this guy, is this gal the real deal? Are they the real deal? And sometimes some of us love our jobs, and sometimes we hate our jobs. But believe it or not, people are watching us, whether we love our jobs or we hate our jobs. You might find yourself hating your job like this guy. Kyle, where are you, Kyle? Kyle, are you in here? Kyle, are you in here? <laughs> um, that was Kyle's uh, first music video. And uh, uh, we've suggested he stay with, with his role as a student pastor, but um, uh, he did a great job. I owe him big time. He just recorded that this week. I th- thought he did a great job. If you remember nothing else from this message, you will remember my job is stupid, you know, so... Thanks, Kyle. But, you, you know, whether you feel great about your job or if you feel terrible about your job, your work matters. Um, what we want to do is take a look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to read along with me. Or if you have a pew Bible, I believe it's on page 829, and it goes over to page 830. Let's read God's word together. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. And with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Slaves and masters. Thanks a lot, Pastor Mark. <laughs> so what do we do with this? Last time I checked, I was not a slave. Last time I checked, I didn't have any slaves working for me. So how do we apply this in our lives today? Uh, the first thing I think that, that strikes us is this whole aspect from our American 20, 21st century American mindset is this whole aspect of slavery. And... Um, 
You know, some of you will think, well, now, why didn't Paul, and you'll be thinking this in your American mindset, why didn't Paul just come right out and condemn slavery? And although he did not come out and condemn it head on, he did not, not necessarily condone it. In fact, uh, there's a Bible study uh, insert in your bulletin where I have some other verses related to slavery in Paul's writings. If you want to check out where Paul was on this whole issue of slaves and, and uh, masters, read those verses. But as you look at that, one thing we have to realize is that slavery in the, tw- in the first century of Rome was an economic and social fact of life. It's what made the empire run. And um, when you think about it, as, many as, one, as much as one-third of the Roman population at that time consisted of slaves. There were so many slaves at that time that somebody thought, well, this would be good for us to identify who's slave and who's free. And so they actually put before the emperor the proposition that they would put a certain color stripe or have the robes in a certain color for slaves. The emperor thought about that for a moment, and he thought, you know, that's not such a good idea because if they actually see how many there are of themselves, they might rise up and revolt. So they decided not to do that. But it was a fact of life. Now, as, as you think about slavery in the first century, <clears throat> it was much different than the slavery that we experienced in the United States and that will forever stain our heritage as Americans. Because, number one, slavery here in the United States was based on race. It was based exclusively on race. And back in Rome, it had nothing to do with race at all. Uh, Slavery was an equal opportunity oppressor of all peoples. And And slaves came from a variety of different sources. They came from international trade. They came from Roman military conquest. They came from being born into slavery, uh, indebtedness, criminal sentence, even rescue from infanticide. So there were multiple ways a person could become a slave in the Roman Empire. And again, it had nothing to do with race. Now, having said that and realizing that even slavery in the first century, people were considered personal property, there were certain established guidelines for the treatment of slaves. In fact, we know um, experientially you know, that slaves were uh, abused, they were killed, they were abused. And yet, there were those guidelines. So even slave owners who would kill their slaves or abuse them were often frowned upon by other slave masters. <clears throat> um, one of the things that was interesting was that uh, slaves back then could actually sell, or people back then could actually sell themselves into slavery. There were some people, believe it or not, who enjoyed more freedom, more earthly provision by way of work and housing and shelter, shelter and food being a slave than they were if they had been a free man. And so some people actually sold themselves into slavery. Um, The other thing that a lot of people don't realize is that there was a thing called manumission. Manumission. And manumission was simply the fact that a a slave master could release his slaves, could free them anytime he wanted. There were two ways to do that. One by the rod and one by the will. And usually uh, the rod was kind of the... uh, formal, legal way to free a slave, so it would usually cost a little bit of money. Okay, so most slave masters, if they wanted to free their slaves, went by uh, manumission of the will. And that meant that they could free their slave at any time. Now, not every slave owner could afford to free their slaves. You know, if you were a middle-class slave owner, you may not be able to uh, free your slave. But if you were a wealthy slave owner, you might uh, free a number, a number of slaves. 
and uh, it was considered being very prestigious as a slave owner if you could afford to release your slaves. Now, usually when they did that, they did it when the slave turned around the age of 30. Why did they do that? Well, it was a very good reason for it because at the age of 30, they then became eligible for Roman citizenship. And so that was often uh, the case that happened. In fact, many slaves also had um, some professional background. Some practiced medicine. Some practiced the arts and were uh, artisans. And you'll find in cities like Ephesus where they actually had streets of people who were good at making jewelry. And all of them were freed slaves. So this was very, very commonplace in Rome at that time. Getting back to Paul and his view of slavery... I think if you look at his writings, you'll see that Paul probably had an erosive effect on the institution of slavery in the first century, especially as it related to um, slaves, Christian slaves and Christian masters and how they related to one another. If you really want to take a look at that, if that interests you, there's a little book in the New Testament. It's one chapter. It's called the Book of Philemon. And there you'll find... Uh, Paul writing to a slave owner, uh, a master called Philemon, about his slave Onesimus. And that'll give you a feel for where Paul was on the issue of slavery. So what do we do with this issue of slavery? Well, what I'd like to do today, since we don't have slaves here in the United States and we aren't slave owners, is to apply it to work. You know, work is a big deal in our lives, isn't it? Um, Many of us define ourselves by our work. Uh, it's estimated that for men, that men spend 60 to 65% of their lives at work. That's a lot of, lot of time at work. And we consume a lot of our time thinking about work. It's interesting that although men spend that much time at work, according to a Gallup survey, 80% of all men feel miscast in their jobs. They don't feel like they quite fit. One of the things we talked about in men's fraternity where we met every Thursday morning in the atrium we looked at, uh, we talked about winning at work and at home. And we said that as men, we look at two mirrors to assess how we're doing in our lives. And uh, we liken this to the uh, wicked queen in uh, the story of Sleeping Beauty. You remember her? And she would look in the mirror and she would ask the question, mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's the what? Fairest of them all. And she would ask herself that question. In a men's fraternity, we said that men hold up two mirrors. One is the issue is a home, and one is at work. And we look into those mirrors, and we ask ourselves the question, mirror, mirror on the wall, am I doing any good at all? Because as a man, it's not enough for me to be just successful at home. I want to be successful at work. And as a man, it's not enough to be successful just at work. I want to be successful in the home, and vice versa. Uh, I may have said that wrong. But do you understand that for men, that's really important? And yet, if you're a working woman, I would venture to say, you're not the, you know, the men aren't the only one who asks those questions. Not only how am I doing at home, but how am I doing at work? And that we think a lot about that. In fact, we think about how am I doing at work, and how do other people perceive me at work? Okay. Let's, let's take a look at, uh, at uh, these verses again, verses 5 through 7. Because there's a certain quality when it comes to work that I think this passage is not just about work, about, but about relations. In fact, I would summarize this as, a, as saying your work matters to God. 
your work matters to God. More importantly, your attitude about your work matters to God. So in reviewing those verses, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Okay, so some, I can hear some of your groans. You're saying, okay, Bob, I, I understand what you're saying. You know, I'm supposed to obey. And, you know, after all, my, my boss does control my promotion. My boss may control what I get paid, all those kinds of things. But, hey, you mean to tell me I not only have to obey, which is, can be hard enough at times, but you also want me to show some respect? You want me to serve sincerely? <laughs> you want me to serve wholeheartedly? Yes. It's not me. It's the scripture that's saying that. That's what we're called to do. And yet, how many times have you said one of these phrases or maybe heard them used yourself? First phrase. Yeah, but you don't know what a jerk my boss is. Right? You don't know what a jerk my boss is. You can take this job and... Okay? The other one, I... Uh, uh, the other ones would be, hey, don't ask me, I only work here. Or how about this one? Oh, excuse me, you must be confusing me with someone who really gives a rip. <laughs> and oftentimes you'll find that person will have this on their desk. You ever seen some? How many of you have that on your desk? Some of you probably do, or you've been tempted to buy it, okay? You know, we've seen that out there. Here's another one. They don't pay me enough to put up with this garbage. And then lastly, I'll show some respect when I start feeling some respect. Now, we've all said something like that or felt that way or have heard it. You know what they, what they all do? They summarize bad attitudes. They really do. In fact, stinky attitudes. And those attitudes become infectious and they become poisonous in our own hearts and minds and they become poisonous in the workplace, don't they? And yet, we're, you, know, you may go to work and some of those comments that are made may be true for you. In fact, you may hear that. Those comments may be prevalent in your workplace. The fact is, as Christ followers, they are inappropriate for us. Because it's not just about serving our immediate boss or immediate organization. It's about serving the master. So whether you like it or not, and whether you have a boss who's a jerk, people are watching. You know, I don't know. Some of you might be able to relate to having a boss like this. Okay, well, that sounds, uh, sounds great. Uh, I'll talk to you later, all right?
Hello, Peter. What's happening? Um, I'm gonna need you to go ahead and come in tomorrow. So if you could be here around nine, that would be great. Okay. Oh, oh, and I almost forgot. Um, I'm also gonna need you to go ahead and come in on Sunday too. Okay. We uh, lost some people this week, and uh, we need to sort of play catch-up. Thanks. Well, I don't know if any of you can relate to having a boss like that. It's funny when you watch it in a movie. It's another thing when you actually experience that in your life, isn't it? So uh, I can tell you I had an experience like that early on in my work career. I had a boss that was... um, well, to be honest with you, I didn't like him at all. I, re, I feared him, but I didn't respect him. And I would consider him probably a jerk, the way he treated me, the way he treated people. He was not only demanding, he was also demeaning. And it was very, very difficult to work with this guy. And uh, I struggled with that, and... Um, he would find a way to Im- intimidate you. And we would play the game, and maybe you've done this at work, um, but we'd play the game where you try to come in to work earlier than he would, so shows you're committed, right? And then you made sure that you stayed after he left, so again, it showed that you were committed, that you are really committed. We played that game. And I would never seem to win at that game. I don't, if you've ever played that, you never quite seem to win, you know, because I wanted him to have his eyes on me. But um, he was so intimidated that one time I asked for some time off to attend my brother's wedding. And um, seems like a reasonable request, right? I mean, some of you have done that. And, and uh, I asked for time off. Now, I was kind of new to, to the job and to the organization. And uh, he just intimidated me. He looked at me, said, kind of like this, we need you. You will be there. I don't care how you do it, but you will be there because we need you. And as it turned out, I didn't go to my brother's wedding. Can you believe it? I did not go to my own brother's wedding. I was that intimidated. And to this day, I regret that I didn't do that. Now, unlike you, um, I couldn't tell him to take a flying leap. I couldn't tell him I quit because I was serving Uncle Sam with the United States Marine Corps. And if I decided to tell him that, there would have been... um, well, I probably would have been locked up. Or if I tried to leave, I probably would have been run down and locked up. So I didn't have that alternative like some of you had. But nonetheless, it was tough working for a guy like this. I want to say that uh, this taskmaster, however, did teach me a few things. But it came with a little bit more time. And uh, what happened was I realized, how am I going to deal with this situation? How am I going to work with this? And let me just say this. I prayed. I began to pray. And I didn't pray that God would strike him down with leprosy or some terrible disease, although I did think about that. (laughs) And I didn't pray a lot of other things I could have prayed, but I prayed. And you know what I did? I prayed for my boss. I prayed for him. You know, some interesting things happen when we go to God in prayer, not just praying for the exams that we have coming up, or the big project, or the big sale, or the big whatever comes up, or doing something we've never done before. But some amazing things can happen when we just 
pray for our bosses and for the people that we work with. It's kind of like God does an attitude adjustment in our hearts. And that's what I found God doing. Well, what were some of the lessons I learned? Here some of them are. I asked God to help me deal with my boss. And again, uh, we, we never fell in love with each other. We never developed a great working relationship. But I learned to deal with my boss. I learned to try to figure out where he was. And just so that I would have the patience that I wouldn't be afraid of him, that I would be able to relate to him in a natural way. And then I put myself in his shoes. I put myself in his shoes. And I began to realize that he had responsibilities and things that he had to get done that I realized I couldn't do, nor would I want to do. I didn't want the same level of responsibility that he had. So as I began to pray and appreciate the fact that he was in these shoes, I started to respect him, at least respect his position. I also grew to care about him. Now, again, we didn't become good buddies. We didn't go out fishing together and all that kind of thing. But I began to care about him because I realized there were issues in his life. And, I mean, all, all of us have put in long hours at work. We know what this is like. And it takes a toll on our marriages, marriages and our families. And that was true of him. And I saw him struggle, even though he never directly spoke to me about it. You could see it. You know, people talk about it. You know how it is. And I, could, I started to relate to him a little bit and saying, boy, this must be tough. You know, he must, he must have a hard time doing this and putting uh, these demands on himself. I also look for ways to help lift his load. You know, it's interesting when you start working with somebody, that, that's one thing, and then you start praying for them. You start to look for ways in which you can come alongside them and anticipate what they need. And so I started to learn that about him. It took some time, but I started to learn about, now, did he ever appreciate it? No, because I should have known anyway, right? So, but I started to anticipate things, and I started to have more confidence in dealing with him. And then I realized that God had me there for a reason. That God had me there for a reason. That God had something for me to learn through this whole process. And then I realized that my service to him gave him a glimpse of Christ. That maybe he got a small glimpse of Jesus Christ in my life because I was trying to do my job with sincerity and wholeheartedness. Well, what's the rest of the story? Um, here's the rest of the story. He left the unit, and I left the unit, and we never saw each other again. And that was okay with me. <laughs> that was completely okay with me. But the fact is that Taskmaster did prepare me for some things. In fact, with all the other things that he, I felt sometimes he dumped on me, he gave me an additional duty that I ended up being pretty good at. You know, it wasn't my primary job, but I did it on the side as one of the additional duties that you receive. And I got to be pretty good at it, and it uh, gave the unit some recognition and all this kind of thing. And as it turned out, that job prepared me for another assignment or two where I did basically the same thing with a boss that I really enjoyed. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. Sometimes God puts us in situations to remind us of things. For example, in Luke 16, Luke 16:10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Some of you are going and looking at your jobs and saying, "Why don't they use my potential? They're limiting my potential. They're limiting my earning potential. They don't really respect the gifts and abilities that I bring into the organization." They're keeping me back. They're holding me down. When in reality, many of you 
applied for that job hoping you would get it. You interviewed that job, getting excited about the second interview. You were offered that job thinking, oh, this is great. I'm excited to, to do this. And now you're at the point where you resent your job, you resent your boss. Can I give you some advice? Pray. 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 Ask God in this very practical area of life that we spend so much of our times in that God would adjust your attitude to give you an attitude adjustment because God has you there for a reason, for a purpose. And it might be that he's testing you to see if you're faithful in the little things in order to prepare you for the bigger things. God has a training program. It consists of marriage, family, and work. (laughs) And he's got us all in that program, somewhere along the line, and he has a lesson for us to learn there. I'm often reminded of a fellow at uh, Bethel College. Libby and I attended Bethel College in St. Paul, same place where Mark and Lori went to school. And uh, there's a guy... There was a guy there when we went to school, and I think when Mark was there as well, and he was a custodian by the name of Keith Teacots. And Keith was one of these guys who was always moving around. And he was a custodian at the university for well over 40 years. And wherever Keith went, he was always hustling about. He was setting things up. He was cleaning things up. And he had an entourage of college students. He trained generations of college students there for work-study and how to clean a floor, how to clean a toilet, how to set up chairs for an assembly, how to, how to do all kinds of things. And wherever he was, he worked alongside them to teach them how to serve. Guy was great. He always had a, a warm smile and a handshake and an encouraging word. <laughs> he did this thing for 40 years. Now, Keith re- is retired now, and we have a a son who's a student at Bethel and will go up to games or reunions there and periodically I'll see Keith sitting in the crowd and wherever I see Keith he's still warmly greeting people offering a word of encouragement and he's surrounded by these young people that he invested in over the years who who he taught how to serve the Lord joyfully whether you're mopping a floor or cleaning a toilet or setting up chairs. See, Keith had it right that it, he wasn't just serving college students. He wasn't just serving the university. University. He was serving the master. And his attitude was infectious in a positive way, unlike a negative attitude that's infectious in a, neg- in a negative way. I think the Lord needs more Keiths to work with. Well, that then brings us to our second part of this. The first part we talked about slaves. Verse 9, we talk about masters. Treat, and it says in verse 9, and masters treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Very simple instructions, that although you may be in a position as a master, as a supervisor, as a boss, you're, to, you're called upon to treat your employees in the same way, with respect, with sincerity, with wholeheartedness. In the military, we call it taking care of your people. It's that simple. You take care of your people. 
and you don't lord it over them. You take care of them. You work alongside with them. You, you help guide them. You mentor them. You show them where, what you want to do and how you want it done, and you encourage them in the results. That's what you do. It never ceases to amaze me that whatever job that you look at, people always have someone to answer to, don't they? You know, and, you know, being a, a military guy, you know, I remember, you know, kind of shaking, giving briefings to generals and stuff like that. And then, uh, but then have you ever seen a general shake? Turn on uh, C-SPAN and watch a four-star general sit in front of a Senate subcommittee, and you'll see they sit on a hot seat. Or if you're a CEO of an organization, you have the stockholders in your board to report to. You always have someone to report to. So be careful how you treat them. Be careful because we're to honor the Lord in our relationships at work. And then that that brings us, why do we do that? Verse 8, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Again, the issue is our relationships at work. And do people get a glimpse of that? Do people get a glimpse of that? And to know that whether we're slave or free, whether we're employee or boss, our work matters to God. Our work matters to God. Specifically, our attitude matters to God. And God has a training program, as I mentioned earlier. It's called Marriage, Family, and Work. And the whole goal of this training program on this side of eternity is to conform us, our personalities, our character, into the person of Christ. So as we grow and we try to become more Christ-like with his help, people see him. And as a result, we point them to him. That's the goal of the program, that you and I become more like Jesus Christ And as God gives us opportunity, as people get a glimpse into our marriages, our families, and our work, they see Jesus. That's the big picture. But that is the practical stuff. Your work matters to God. And so as you look into the mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall, am I doing any good at all? With God's help, we're going to do good. With God's help, we're going to point people to Jesus through our relationships at home, and that work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. Thank you for the practicality of this in our lives. And Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters as they have listened to it. Lord, if there's some area of their life that, uh, particularly in the life of work, where you need to help them with their attitude, where you need to uh, give them a shot in the arm or maybe even a kick in the pants, Lord, that they would see work as a gift from you and that they would see those relationships as people that you care about and that as they serve and work alongside others that they are serving you and working for you lord give us a big picture we need to be reminded of that and we again thank you for your word in jesus name amen